freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, my culminators friends, and welcome to another edition of Culmination. I bring on again, I'm privileged to have my friend, colleague, and fellow, the list is too many, too long of all the all the doo-doo lists that, that here that we're on together. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not I'm not sure I'm on all the good ones that Will's on. Will Chamberlain. Will, welcome back. How you doing? Great. Good to be with you, Ron. I don't think I think the last time we had you, you were pre-baby. Not yes. Okay. You and I had lunch post-baby, I think, but mm-hmm. that's right. It? Yeah, we did, yeah. Or, or right time. around either. She might have been just yeah, very, was, it would very she, late. She was going to come, actually, right? Which would have been. Yeah. But now you seem to be entirely in charge of childcare, right? What is she working in a factory? Or yeah, something? she she's got an office job, and I don't. Which means that you know when when <laughs> when the childcare center calls and says you need to take the baby, uh, that 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 responsibility ends up falling on me. So I'm, uh, I'm currently yeah, she's it's, she's I'm, in the listen, yeah. I'm sh- I'm sure it's pr- you know the thing everyone agreed about you will is that a little humility wouldn't hurt you, and. <laughs> Being a being a stay-at-home dad, that'll do it. <laughs> it is. I mean, I saw a funny, like, there was a great Instagram clip where somebody was, some guy was talking about, you know, he's like, you know, I've I've come to appreciate, I started doing the childcare because we had to and changing diapers and feeding and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. And, you know, he's talking to his wife and I came to realize, you know, it just isn't very hard. <laughs> <laughs> just basic stuff is actually not that technically challenging um, no, not technically challenging it, it, it that that is actually in fact the the um the mechanics notwithstanding the the movies that seem to indicate dads being unable to and these are 80s movies i guess yeah you even my father i'm sure never changed the diaper right and of course, in those days, diapers were far more disgusting. We're talking cloth yes, diapers. You know? Yes, modern diaper technology is dramatically improved. <laughs> dramatically improved. My wife, you know, we, our babies had um, all had colic, every mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. And first of all, you come to understand a lot better when you hear terrible, awful stories of people throwing babies out the window. But you realize what's if you're a drug if you were a drug addict or an alcoholic or you know, a mentally marginal, I mean, a, a baby with colic can really get you thinking desperate thoughts, much less two at a time. But one time my wife woke up in the morning feeling great. Mm-hmm. And she said, wow, did, did the baby sleep through the night? And she looked over at me and my, my pasty white bags under my eyes. And she realized that I, you know, I had to care of everything during the night. That was one of the, one of the, one of the highlights of our marriage. One of the, it's the last time she, I think that she recalls that she, that she thinks I really stepped up. So anyway, that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. All right. So Will, but, but when, but from home, you seem to be still doing all kinds of things. You seem to be getting uh, into the groove and you're, you're writing statements on, on the, uh, 
I have to make sure I say this right. National, no, I forget. What is it? National conservatism. National uh, conservatism, right? So yeah, so because all the adjectives, it's, it's kind of like the German Democratic People's Republic. Like you have to get all these things right, or else you could be talking about the really exact opposite of what it sounds like. Yeah, so you seem to have gotten uh, yourself involved with, with that with that crowd. And in fact, I'm going to be speaking with Josh Hammer later mm -hmm. today. Um, what's uh, you know. What, what's going on there? What's, you know, well, I mean, I, I've been involved. Yoram Hazoni is the guy who's like the primary intellectual engine behind national conservatism. He wrote The Virtue of Nationalism, which I still think is an outstanding book and a really good exposition of, you know, what a kind of new conservatism that's Trump friendly would look like from an intellectual perspective. Um, and so I was always, I've been happy to help him uh, in a number of ways, social media, various other things. Um, and so, yeah, I did get involved and, in you know, I've known with... Norm since college, Yoram since college. Really? I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I slept on his, when he, he was, how right wing is Yoram Hazoni? He was married during college and talk about a revolutionary right. act. And I, and I came, when I came back for my first reunion, I guess it was, but yeah, I slept on his couch mm -hmm. uh, over Shabbos because it was impossible to accommodate me otherwise. Anyway, we go way back. Uh, so yeah, okay. So you so you've been so you've been working with with Yoram. You, yeah. So Yoram, or, and Josh. Yeah, go on. This is like yeah, Yoram, Josh. Uh, I think. Gosh, I forget his name. I'm, I'm a complete David Brog. Sorry. Uh, a, a few other people. Um, they were more heavily involved in the drafting than me. But I, I think that you know their organization. They run the, the a national conservatism conference every year. Um, regularly get very good speakers like last year Peter Thiel, JD Vance, like all the really the good rock stars on our side are coming. How about, back. How about Rabbi Zupnik? Did you get to meet Rabbi Zupnik? I, I did not meet Rabbi meet Zupnik. Him. Hopefully, I get to meet him in a couple months when we, when he, we have the he's, next conference. He's my he's my rabbi. He's my you know he's my uh, he is uh, he certainly brings a different perspective to the table. But yeah, no, it was interesting. I read Yorm just came out with another book, Conservatism and Rediscovery. And a, and a big chunk of it is sort of an intellectual history of conservatism all the way back to England, you know, Anglo-American conservatism. But like, I found the most interesting part to be like the last, I don't know, 75 pages, which was just about his personal exploration of what it meant to lead a conservative life. And he talked about getting married very young, trying to, avoid, you know, looking at college as this just source of degeneracy and anti-family nonsense. And this was in the mid eighties. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, believe, I mean, you know, we had fun. All right. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> compared to the hookup culture of the 20s of the 21st century, not yet. Yeah. Know. And, and I don't know, it's a really, it's a really interesting challenge. I think, well, you know, I mean, a, one thing about the book that, that also makes it a challenge is that being a Zionist in a way that I'm not a Zionist, mm -hmm. he presses the point through a, through a, the point of view of, of Zionism, which mm -hmm. is daring uh, in in more than one respect. Mm -hmm. um, but he does make it very, you know, it does make it personal. And also, I think in many respects, I think, and I think he would argue, I'm sure he had the dis a lot of discussions with a lot of people who would, actually, he's very close to Rabbi Zumdick, which is why Rabbi Zumdick was at the, uh, at the meeting. Um, including that in many ways, I think, forces you to really see the issue in a way that's less comfortable than, oh gosh, I'm an American. So of course, America, I'm French around it. Like, how about this nationalism? How about a nationalism, which is really premised on something profound and controversial?
And right. do do we do Jews have a right to to nationalism? Right. And I mean, I think you know that's he's very strong on that stuff. I found you know more almost more interesting and personal was like his challenge to young conservatives to lead conservative lives. Right. Yes. Which, which I found, which I, I like read as like, oh, this is, the, I am the audience for this because what he's saying. Because is no, because like, you're not getting dates anyway. So you may as well make it a virtue. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I'm married now, but so that's, that's part of it, but that's certainly not all of it. You know, there's, you know, the, the challenge to like, you know, he makes an, he, I, I'm, so I'm non-religious, right? Like, I, I think we might've talked about this before. My mother is, you know, Ashkenazi Jewish descent. Uh, my dad was a wasp, straight as wasp as you can get. Um, culturally, I feel like I identify more with my dad's side, if you will. Like, it's just kind of how I grew up. And as a result, most people don't even couldn't don't even. Well, recognize that, and, it, and it works out well. It works out well yeah. because, you, you know, if you came out looking like me, it would be a little bit harder to explain you know, right. that inclination. But <laughs> you have very little explaining to do. <laughs> right, right. I look like a wasp. <laughs> I behave like a wasp. So but but that's so but so Yoram says something interesting. He's kind of like challenging you like, okay, so I'm not religious because you know my parents didn't agree. And so I did they just kind of exposed me to everything, but indoctrinating me in neither. And I just you know, and you so end I, up with first, nothing, which is how it always goes. Right, right. I end up with nothing. I'm like, you know, it also, you know, that actually is also the most elegant way to resolve that parental dispute, right? Rather than one of you is right, both of you are wrong. <laughs> that, is, that is the null hypothesis. Like, you're both right that each of you isn't getting things accurate. Anyway. Except you're uh, wrong. It's not the null hypothesis. The null hypothesis yeah. is a creator. Ah, no, the details on the other sure. hand. Then again, both your parents agreed with, well, at least their traditions agreed with that. Okay. Please right. They, 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 they get along. But I, I guess that the interesting, so so Yor makes a very interesting challenge. He's like, okay, you, you I mean, but you should, you, you talk about history and tradition, but you're not honoring the traditions of your ancestors if you're not, you know, studying the Bible, respecting the Sabbath. And it's like, that's a really profound challenge to someone like me. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll listen to that. But I also have this sort of in the back of my mind, which is like, which tradition, right? Like, which, which, which of my ancestors, right? Like, I got them going both ways, and they do not agree. Um, and it's like, so which which way do I go or, or and how do I handle that that dilemma and how does you know if it's so not by, get, by getting married to some to some you made that choice to some extent right and I, I, I mean I married uh I said I suppose my wife might qualify as a non-practicing Protestant I don't know um but you know it's not her family isn't I mean they're religious but not particularly so I don't think they attend church um and I mean I guess that that would be one way to resolve the problem but it's sort of I think, you know, the thing about Yoram's argument is that it's sort of an, it's an, it's an answer to the, well, I don't intellectually believe in the religion, right? And he's like, so what? Deal with it, right? Like, you need, you, your, your intellectualism is, you know, disrespectful of tradition. But it's like, if I still have to choose, then that's still an intellectual choice. Right. right. I mean, that, that aspect of it is definitely a complication. I mean, I, I keep yeah. hearkening back in my mind of all the public figures that I could think of. I keep thinking of Churchill. Mm -hmm. Churchill was a, was quite a religious skeptic. You would really be hard pressed to hear, but in him, much reference at all to real Christian stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he's and, and he's a man of his time, mm -hmm. and yet for Churchill, it was obvious that one must be a Christian. Mm -hmm. An Englishman must be a Christian, and in the and 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 the Prime Minister of English, well, you know that 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 uh, hell even in Hogwarts they have Christmas, right? Right. You know, like there and that there were just even if you're not yourself 
and I, and I think this supports Yoram's argument, even if you yourself are not devout, Mm-hmm. but you exist within a national tradition that includes a certain religion, it's good for everyone involved for you to respect that and live in a way that respects that. And your children will make the decisions that they will make ultimately. And if they see, ah, dad used to go to church, but he didn't really, he wasn't really into it. I mean, you know, again, you've done what you can do, but right. to, to have this sort of, you know, postmodern way of living where we're just all moving sideways and you know people are hooking up and you know and I, I know that that's not the only issue but believe me it's the it, it's probably the main issue mm-hmm. now the other one is belief and belief mm-hmm. is a gigantic deal because you can believe in the creator as you know mm-hmm. right you can look around and you know come to a conclusion and say come on this just doesn't act, you know but that's a long way from saying reveal revelation is true once you get right. revelation, the, the argument then between Christianity and Judaism is smaller than the argument between Judaism, between traditional Judaism and reformed Judaism. Right. You know, I mean, now it becomes much, much more interesting. Okay, that it's an excellent segue, in fact, mm-hmm. for us to move away from nationalism to, to actually mm-hmm. a bit of open. Listen to what a great segue this is. Shirtless. The Shirtless? Boston, the Boston City Hall flag case okay. okay i'm not actually familiar with that so i need to look I, that oh, up. You, it's gonna ring a bell as soon as i tell you mm-hmm. the the boston city hall was running flags it, anyone could submit a flag and they would like rotate everybody's flag and then mm-hmm. you know there's somebody made there's like a christian flag mm-hmm. i really know who gets to decide what the christian flag is but some christian group wanted to fly christian flag and they say oh no oh no that's a you know, that's an establishment problem under the First Amendment. We won't do that. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. there, you know, pride flags and, you know, baloney head flags and, you know, whatever you could possibly think of, mafia flags. So they brought a lawsuit, goes up to the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, and the Supreme Court says, that's, no, that's not, a, that is not a, an establishment problem for you. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a viewpoint discrimination problem. Mm-hmm. If you're opening up the, you know, opening up the, um, ch- you know, uh, the flagpole, I guess actually mm-hmm. would be the metaphor instead of a metaphor, I'll be literal, literal to every, every point of view and every symbolic fl- mm-hmm. flag worthy concept, you can't discriminate against religion per se. And that's what you're doing. Right. So that's good. That's obvious. It seems like a seems, seems like a no brainer. Along come the Satanists, mm-hmm. and you know the Satanists are just trolls. They're not really Satanists. They sure. don't they don't really believe in any of their really cool Satan stuff. Which, by the way, would require them to believe in God, right? Yeah. Um, and they say, okay, well, here's our Satanism flag. And I don't, that's not been litigated. And I don't think it will be because I think in Boston will probably be really happy to fly the Satanism flag. But I had heard Mike, uh, Michael Knowles and Jeremy's wondering, gosh, Ron is so taken with this. Mike, you all know him, my, my, my mm-hmm. uh, faceless producer. Um, he, Cause he's heard me talk about it. Cause I'm fascinated by this. And Michael went on, I was, you know, but the very few times when I was listening to a podcast uh, and he was saying, no, 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 no Satanism. No, we're, we're not going to fall for that troll. We're not going to say that just because that because we said you can't discriminate against religion, 
you can you, you may not discriminate against like nihilism or against something that represents the antithesis of free speech or the antithesis of the of what of what our commonwealth is supposed to stand for. Mm-hmm. And he admitted that that would not fly before the Supreme Court, but that that's nonetheless a position that he thinks we should be prepared to take, that we should look to, and this is the common good kind of stuff, Mm. you know, we should look to the traditions that we're living within, right? So now I'm ringing the bell with your arm also, and (laughs) flags, and and saying, hey, wait a minute, we're not, what what is it that the liberals used to say, that the, um, the Constitution is not a suicide pact, right? Right. What do you think? How would you answer that question? I think I think that's the right out. You know, that's the right stand to take. I think I think I don't know how the court would rule on it, but I think you know our position. It, it's sort of like a bad faith pretext type argument, right? Like it, it, from you know, if you imagine from like Fourth Amendment contexts, or if a pretext fails there, but like there are other places where you know pretext and bad faith like matter and you might just say it like look satanism is a bad faith religion right like it in in multiple senses right show Um, me so 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 this raises an interesting point because in generally in first amendment litigation the court never crosses the line of asking i say never i suppose mm -hmm. a real expert would tell you no ron here's where they have but i think by and large you know you say that that you sacrifice to babaluaye And Hialeah, you know, won't let you sacrifice chickens. I, we don't, we're not interested. We don't want to mm-hmm. know. Don't show us pictures. We believe you. But th- maybe there comes a point where, where I mean, just the problem is you can see why why it's a good bright line from a policy point of view. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tricky one. I, I think uh, you know, but I, I think in general, I think the you know, I think that almost the real problem isn't satanism and the and the sort of bad faith troll stuff the sort of real problem is that so you're pro-satanism a, right we can use that in the excerpt here that, <laughs> funny the problem the, is no that, certainly anti-satanism but the, the the real problem is that wokeness functions as a secular religion that isn't constrained by the establishment clause at all right like that's the sort of so you know basically you know i, re, I remember reading Breyer's opinion good. in uh I think what was it, Kennedy or or maybe the Macon case, the Carson v. Macon. It was in one of he he wrote. I think he wrote both of those dissents. Um, and you but, read you you are still reading Briar dissents. I hope you're getting paid for, for that because well, there's only a few left. We won't be paid with those anymore. There are only a few left. He wrote it and he just keeps mm-hmm. using it in the same one. You know, you know. Yeah. All right, but I'm sorry. But anyway, so so his his argument was like, look, you know, we we have we want this, this wall of separation. And, you know, it's important to keep this like very pristine bright line between church and state. And I'm like, I don't necessarily agree, but whatever, it's a, it's a perspective, right? It's an ethic. Okay. Except that you have this secular religion that is no restrictions at all. That's just dominated the public school system. You know, like there's no, there's no establishment of like drag queen story outer limits. Like why not? <laughs> there should be, <laughs> there absolutely, right. I think separation of, you know, drag queens and state would be nice. Thank you. Right. So this is, so this, we really are coming on to, to a problem, right? Where, where this, this problem that Yoram talks about and that all culture, all conservatives who aren't libertarians basically are, have to be aware of, and especially people who are attached to organized religion are particularly acutely aware of is that we're coming around the other side 
to a world where there are ideologies that are every bit as faith-based and impervious to factual um, rebuttal as any religion. Mm -hmm. But they don't take the form of religions. And this, you know, certainly critical racial theory and anything coming out of that Gender theory is the most obvious of this, right? Like it's literally all just non-falsifiable claims, right? Just nothing but non-falsifiable claims. You know, like gender is a spectrum, unfalsifiable, right? You might say, oh no, there are only two genders. I'm like, but no, 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 Like the way that they're defining gender, that's not a falsifiable claim, right? They're defining gender as the social construction about how people behave, right? So you can't, you can't falsify it and say that there aren't, you know, multiple constructions or whatever. Um, and like, you know, think about like when they're asked to define what is a woman, what is a man? It's like when you ask a religious person to define God, right? Like, like just sort of this, super, just you is, know, just is. In, right. indefinite, like expansive, you know, well, thing that we're only seeking understanding of, you know? So a couple months, a couple of weeks ago, I had, um, Eric Smith on mm -hmm. and I think in the last episode, I called him Evan. But if mm -hmm. anyone listens to two consecutive episodes, I've now fixed that. I'm sorry. I fixed it here. Oh, this won't be a consecutive episode, but really, really articulate and dynamic black scholar. But he pointed out to me uh, something. And again, I apologize to anyone who actually listens regularly because I just keep bringing this up. But sometimes it's just something just grabs you. He, he said, one of the things you see from this entire school that is comes out of Mark Hughes, really. Mm -hmm. They don't use adjectives. Mm -hmm. So you don't have trans women, you have women. Mm -hmm. Like you either accept our definition, we've moved the slider to wherever the hell we decide it is, and that's woman. So if mm -hmm. someone shows up in a bathing suit and says, I'm a woman now, you may not say you're a purported woman. You're a, you're, mm -hmm. you're a, you're, you're a make-believe woman. You're an aspirational woman. You're a woman, and we are going to enforce that, and we're going to change the meaning of what marriage is. We're going to change the meaning mm -hmm. so that, you know, that he says, you know, he uses that as a technique to get to get people to understand what they are allowing to happen to their intellectual critical, to their critical faculties in this, in this modality. So now what's, I guess maybe you could turn this on and what's, and I think Justice Thomas brought this up in the oral argument over the, was it over, was it in the uh, flag case or was it in the main, um, the main public uh, religious school um, ruling where he asked, well, what, what if the, oh yes, it was in the main public, the main public school, uh, Carson, mm -hmm. where he said, uh, what you know well is critical racial theory also maybe a you know a religion and you know i, th I think he just left it there i don't think he really pursued it the way we mm -hmm. you know but we may be on a collision course as they keep saying with free with with the with the religion clauses the religion clause of the first amendment because it it does seem be like it's moving towards obsolescence if religion is just this really narrow category of mm. you know and plus the what did the irs do when they decided to you know give in to the uh to scientology yeah right, right. 
I think maybe the maybe the there's I see two like solutions, if you will, right? The, one is the sort of maximalist. I think they both go the same way, which is you, you either you classify wokeness and CRT and all that as its own form of religion that cannot be established by a state and effectively say that public schools need to be math science and 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 just don't get to talk about any of this stuff at all, right? Like they don't get to talk about gender, they don't get to talk about race, they don't get to talk about all these like non-falsifiable quasi-religious claims in the same way they don't get to talk about Jesus. Like, all right, but, but so, so the response to that from the people who are in this world is, then you're not, then you can't, first of all, they're not even reserving their, you know, their purview to, 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 to the SAT verbal part, right? To the, mm -hmm. to the history and the social studies they maintain that it, that it has to do that science is white and math is white. So they say, Will, Will Chamberlain, whitest guy in the world, notwithstanding your, you know, your Jews right. are white for this pur for purposes of, that we always know for the purposes of this criticism. Of course, you say that you say, you know, but there's no such thing as no bias. There's no such thing as objectivity. There's no such thing to which now Michael Knowles comes back into our conversation and says, no, 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 you can use your brain. You can, you can switch it on. You can add two and two and find out that it's four. You can get out your, um, you know, your, your, uh, at your what's it called? The, 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 you use to, to, to count your- um, The slide rule? Your, you get your slide rule, whatever. Oh, your abacus. Your abacus, right. right. Get out your abacus yeah. and work it out. You'll see physically the manifestation of two and two really being four. We're in a no meaning world. We're in a no meaning world. And that's why you got to get spiritual will because meaning right. it's about meaning. Your child is waiting to find out from you and your, and your wife. Why daddy? Why, why are we here? Why are we here? You're going to say, well, yeah. because, because we have to, we're here. We're here to own the libs. <laughs> it's not that compelling. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no. So I think I think the I was going to the, the finish the hypothetical with the alternative, which is we just sort of go along the lines of Kennedy and Carson. And we just work on driving a wedge and expanding this free exercise notion to say, no, 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 no. We get to teach religion just right alongside this wokeness crap. Right. And you don't get to stop us because um, and that's the way that we can inculcate values and and fight back on this stuff. And I, I think I think either of those is like tenable in the sense that I don't I don't mind the idea of public schools, especially if you run into these problems with establishment religion, just being like, well, guess what? We don't we don't teach history anymore in public school. Like that's your job, you know. We don't we don't teach social studies. Like it literally is just a you know. Imagine if you had uh, like reading a dictatorship. and writing and arithmetic. Right. Yeah. Reading, writing, like a dictatorship that was basically saying, we don't want our children taught any political, anything political that could lead them to contest us. What would the list of things they could learn be in public school? It'd be like math, science and whatever. And then you're just yeah, like, everything else every, is up to the parents. You ever hear the joke, if, you know, from the, from the, uh, the old cold war joke the, in the Soviet uh, school system here, your assignment today, children is to write an essay on who was the greatest man in history and why was it Joseph Stalin? Right. Right. So we can we can cut that out too, but just just limit it. And I think, but I think either of those solves the problem. But the problem, certainly the problem of, you know, it's just a giant gaping loophole, right? Like all the flowery talk about the desirability of separating church of state and then wokeness just comes right in the back door and is like putting drag queens in front of your children. <laughs> like that 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 is not although I, I mean, I think you'll agree that one of the most troubling things that we see in these videos is parents. 
yeah. parents are par parents who are taking their children to these events and staying there once even you know, I'll give them all the credit in the world that they don't really get what's going to happen. Wow. Yeah, wow. no, it's, it's like, it's amazing. The power of the current thing, the power of the current thing. And also of, of social, I guess that's what makes it the current thing. And like, well, it, it will really reflect badly on us if we don't show yeah. me, but your kids are being warped. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about free speech and censorship and stuff. Article 3 project, you're still involved? Still, still Article 3 project and IAP Internet Accountability Project. And yeah. the Internet Account, Internet Accountability Project. What do you think? I mean, is everyone, are we just all holding our breath to see if it really ends up that, and it looks like it will. And, and you know why it looks like the deal's going to go through with uh, mm -hmm. Musk? Because Coleman hit 200,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> they let it happen. Well, I mean, it's because Twitter I, hired good lawyers and, and locked Musk into a contract that he, did, that he can't really breach. Oh, um, that I, I imagine he had some pretty decent lawyers too. But, it, you know, it, you know, that's right. I mean, it might, it might hurt him. He might feel a little more pain financially than he, you know, might. First of all, the value of his assets has plunged spectacularly. We should be so lucky to lose as much money as to have as much money to lose as, as Elon Musk has lost in the last six months in terms of. Uh, Gosh, it's like, still trading at 37. This is crazy. I mean, he, there's a buy like I, I just randomly pulled up the stock to look at it and I've been following it. I still have been thinking I need to like get in on this because it's trading at 37, not financial advice, by the way, disclaimer, not financial advice. It's trading at 37 and he's got there's a buyout contract signed at 54. It's like a 50% premium. <laughs> like, what? This buyout's going to go through soon. That is I would wild. think. And it's, that yeah, that's wild. insane. That is quite a premium. But you know what? He's done, he's done the math based on that price. Yeah. And, and I imagine if you have the liquidity, you can work around that somehow. In other words, you can find a way to, or is the market already baked? I, I think, I mean, the market is pricing had, in like if we, if Twitter we, agreeing to reduce the buyout price substantially, right? Like, which I can't imagine they'll do because no. they have them under contract, at the higher right. price. And well, that would be, there would be, they would be subject to a lawsuit, the board would be subject to a lawsuit themselves for, you know, for fiduciary issues if they just let them off easy. Oh, no, for sure. But and there's no reason yeah. on earth that they would. They, you know, they, they, for a million reasons. And no, I, I would, if I were a shareholder of Twitter, I would also be in on that. But yeah, you might think that there might be some kind of escape clause written into it that, you know, there's a trigger. And if it, you know, if the stock falls precipitously, all right, that's not your problem or my problem. Mm -hmm. It does seem, though, that would you agree that across social media, there's sort of, there's sort of a um, pause in aggressive new censorship activity. Yeah, it's it's toned down a bit. I think. I think uh, you know because the an election last, coming up. There's an election coming up. The vaccine is just not as central to discourse anymore. I think that was the big like recent censorship push. Was this sort of you know weird like well misinformation kills so we should censor more and, and I, that's not. I mean, COVID's not a central question anymore. The vaccine's not a central question anymore. Um, so suddenly the, the sort of impetus behind censoring people 
like just isn't, I don't think it's there right at this moment. Not to say that there couldn't be something that hits in the new cycle that suddenly gives the left its new, like, oh, remember misinformation kills and, and we'll get more of it. But right now I don't see, I don't see tons of it. That said, like, we just, we still need to, you still see people getting banned for frivolous things. Um, like I'm, we need, you know, we kind of need to take over Twitter like we took over the Supreme Court and, and the rules need to change in a similar way, right? Instead of, uh, you know, we, the people calling for destruction of the Supreme Court should be worried about having their accounts taken down, not the people who say, like Jordan Peterson, who say that, um, you know, who, who misgender anybody. Yes, I mean, that, that, would, be, that would be a welcome change, obviously. Um, I do think that there, I mean, the national, um, the truth ministry, mm -hmm. I'm hearing, I mean, you know, maybe you're hearing better because you're, you know, you're kind of on the scene that all they really did was send it underground that it, mm -hmm. the or maybe it's not getting funded the way it might have been funded but that they're you know they're they're moving pieces around on the are you hearing anything along those lines or is that just like someone's moving screaming? pieces around who, who's moving pieces around Sorry. in other words that, that the homeland security is still basically doing it that it's not going to it's not going to be the same person leading it but that it's part and parcel of their intent to manage messaging and which they you know in a, supposedly believe is part of their mission to to do you know to do what was the intention was which is to have a nationally based misinformation flagging process i think they got i think they took such a beating right like they're at the head of the organization left I mean, there might be some people still like working on it in DHS, but I suspect that um, it's one of those things that, you know, they're like, there's, it's hard to fire civil servants. So you just didn't fire everybody involved, but I suspect that the higher ups there are just kind of like not, not paying attention to it. It's one of those bureaucratic projects that just sits in abeyance until maybe something else happens. That said, like if, if you have some big, you know, again, another COVID type event, uh, not necessarily a virus, but just something that, that creates a push behind misinformation. I wouldn't be su surprised if, if that kind of gets going again. I just think, you know, there, I, I, I would expect that my, my read on this is because that woman left, because the woman who was going to be the head of the organization left, like if she felt like there was a reasonable chance to make things work, she would have stayed. And so I think that Fair whatever enough. it is in its current form is probably not particularly effectual because I think otherwise she would have, she wouldn't have just quit her job. What else do you think is going on in terms of government, you know, message, you know, censorship, you know, that hasn't really bubbled up yet? But, you know, they've, they've got, uh, honestly, I just feel like, I think the, the fact that we're, we're pretty close to an election, we're about four months out of an election, and they're looking at a titanic, overwhelming defeat. I think that's sort of focused all their energy on how do we not get crushed? Um, you know, I mean, you think about something like energy where they're, you know, they were morons, shut down Keystone XL, closed all the oil leases, gas prices spike. Doubling down. I mean, there's statements that came out a couple of days ago, you know, Americans are just going to have to buck up. Oh, yeah. Get, get ready to lose by 20, right? Like, tell it, you know, <laughs> cause the problem. Tell us it's our fault. Like, and I think that honestly, they're, our they're fault sort of torn Putin's, between Putin's fault, Putin's fault. They're just like, they, they're like, we can't piss off our base. So we can't get rid of the policies we know are causing the problem. So they just, all they have left is like, try and do other things, you know, like the gas tax holiday and, 
and other other various things that you know are counter counter to the environmental goals but they're they're you know ron Klain is no fool they know that they're like the, the gas prices are killing them um and so they're trying to like not look like they're you know u-turning on all their environmental policies while still bringing the gas price down somehow it's not this, working right well this is they, they have this ongoing problem right which is that there's never a limiting principle mm -hmm. to any of their visions so they are incapable of compromising yeah because of the pressure from their activist and donor base not their base base but the ones who really call the shots and you know it really should lead to their extinction as a party it, and it won't because they've captured so many institutions but they're in real trouble i mean they could i think I mean, you've, we've never seen numbers like this before an election in terms of like generic ballot advantages for Republicans. Um, you know, Biden's approval ratings are abysmal, worse than, way worse than Trump's, which is saying something given how ferocious the opposition was to Trump among large segments of society. People are really tired of Biden. And this is ABC stuff for you and even for me, but explain to listeners why they should not say in response to what you just said but they cheat in all the elections and therefore it doesn't matter because we're gonna because they, they, they explain why that's not the case right like well there's you looked at the polls i, I mean again I'm, I'm not a big believer I, I believe there was what i call the fraud on the margins explanation right there's fraud on the margins versus fraud on the core fraud on the margins is stuff like ballot box stuffing uh you know like physical ballot box stuffing uh you know ballot harvesting mail-in ballot uh games like you, you that sort of stuff which can slightly increase the vote count for somebody and so in a close election like might make a difference but in like but if you're well ahead it's not going to um and that's the kind of thing that i think people are right exists and you want to clamp down on in our system um but to assume that all the elections are rigged is just silly i mean there's like so many different elections Republicans did win in 20. I mean, we we won a bunch of House seats that people didn't expect us to. Um, we won Yunkin in Virginia in 2021. Like Republicans aren't like shut out of office in the way that they would be if indeed Democrats had complete control of the ballot boxes in such a way that they could just implement whatever fraud they wanted to. And people um, forget that that the Democrats quite, you know, quite astutely realize they can affect the electoral and Senate votes in a given state by merely distorting voting in one county. Right. One, especially in, you know, because so, you know, if you, if you make Philadelphia your playpen, you can get whatever you, result you want in Pennsylvania. That doesn't work in congressional districts. Yeah, it, it doesn't work in congressional districts, and it doesn't work if people are paying attention. It doesn't also doesn't work if the if results seem really out of line with what's going on elsewhere, right? Like where you have like real big aberrations compared in like one area compared to others, um, like a uniquely big swing in one. I mean, so they basically like there's a reason you know they play games where they can, and there's a history of playing games where you can in American politics going all the way back, you know as Lyndon Johnson in his Senate election in 1948 that he straight up stole, like you can go back even further than that. But I think, you know, you can, 
the way fraud works in this country, you can outvote it, right? Like if you get the, you get a, you, there is a margin of fraud that you can exceed. And at which point, like they'll, they'll throw in the towel because the risk, because then there really is like, if they get caught, they have a really big risk of getting caught and all going to jail for years. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a limit to even what people are willing to tolerate. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic, right? I think we're, yeah. we're about to have a, you know, a very good midterm election, I think for the Republicans. I think so too. And I, I, do you think so? You know, now I'm going to say that the next typical response from the from the uh, sincere but e too easily worried listener, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, but then it's going to, do, but 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 so many rhinos, and they're going to get into Congress, and they're not going to do anything, and they don't really have the the, the nerve, and they're not tough and mean like Democrats. And before I give you the chance to, uh, you know, to to swat that softball. I'm going to point out that I spoke to someone last week who told me someone in someone in, a, in the world of the big law firms uh, and the big big finance and Wall Street that top top people are hearing from Senate Republicans that they've got real plans, serious plans for next year that you know yeah. they're, they're, you're, you're hearing similar things i'm hearing similar things in the house side actually um That's like somebody who knows uh kevin mccarthy uh said that kevin's been radicalized a bit um he not necessarily in the policy sense but in the like i am tired democrats need to get him take a beating next time because think about all the ways in which democrats have disrespected kevin yes yeah, no, no, that, and that's a gigantic problem. It's something that I've actually, been, I've also been thinking about and uh, that this is an opportunity for Republicans in the House to really set up a rules regime that is crack proof mm -hmm. because it's what, ha what happened over the last two years or even really six years in the House or is it four years is, is a... All right, I mean, it's bad enough that when we did have Republican leadership, they were terrible. But what the Democrats did with just the January 6th select committee, I mean, everything, you yeah. name it, you know, that there's got to be a way to fireproof that not against them. I mean, at the end of the day, if you lose a majority, then anything, you know, but well, there's there's going to be revenge too. like, think about all the people that, you know, they, they stripped a whole bunch of Republican people, of their committees there, there's, there's, they're coming back for that. Right. Adam Schiff is going to lose his committee assignments in the event that Republicans take power. Uh, you know, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, uh, AOC, maybe even are all going to lose their committee assignments. That's that. But that's just to start. You know, they look at the January 6th commission. They're like, you, you want to do a single party commission with subpoena power? We know how to do those, too. So you're going to see one on Hunter Biden. You're going to see one. I mean, that's I think the next two years. It's not it's not a legislative period. Right. I think the thing Kevin realizes and, and a lot of other Republicans realize is. Joe Biden's going to veto our stuff. Like we're not going to sit around and pretend that we can just pass legislation. We're here to do oversight and we're here to do what the Democrats tried to do to us, but we're going to be a lot more ruthless about it. And I think, I think that's what's coming, um, which I'm happy about because dear Lord, did the Democrats deserve to have real pain for the thing, for the stunts they've been pulling. No, I mean, um, and, and the stunts that they're pulling, as you put it, they're, they're genuine threats to our, towards to our system of government. Mm -hmm. And, and the, you know, the, the lack of, pushback from the people who claim to be the guardians of 
you know, of democracy and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and not to mention corruption. I mean, for God's sake, mm -hmm. you know, what has been tolerated. And I guess also in terms of oversight, DOJ, I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. DOJ has been running wild. And I mean, they need Merrick Garland needs to be brought in front of Congress and humiliated on a regular basis, if not impeached, frankly. He really should um, be impeached. I think he's really crossed. The, yeah. I don't even, you know, the funny thing is it's like, I don't see Biden is Biden. It's, it's almost like, I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily see the, the value in impeaching him unless you can get him on like this, this corruption stuff with Hunter. Um, but Merrick Garland is not doing his job. Right. And, and also like personally taking, putting DOJ in like these political, like, DOJ has no business criticizing publicly Supreme Court decisions. You're the you're the Department of Justice. Like your job is to prosecute, enforce the law. I mean, that's now the law of the land. It's your now job to like obey the law of the land from the Supreme Court. You're supposed to have a good relationship, a working relationship with the Supreme Court, not Crazy. like spitting in their faces. It's it's nonsense. The thing about you and me talking, Will, is we could do it all day. But yeah, I you don't have all day, and even mm -hmm. I. I have to do a little bit of work today. So right. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for coming on again. Of course. I'm glad, I'm glad everything is, is, is great at home. And um, I hope that you continue to do this, the, the things you do and that uh, we'll hopefully see again, see each other again soon. For sure. Thanks, Ron. See ya. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.